Love Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with Tim Reddig, CEO and Chief Technology Officer of Intrust Group. And before we get started, Tim, let me tell people who's coming on next. Uh, on Thursday, the 16th of August, we're going to have Ryan Kiefer for Prime Lending. He's going to be talking about how easy it is to get mortgages today. He's uh, been a large originator of um, personal home mortgages and some commercial work, and Ryan uh, runs Prime Mortgage here in town. On the 17th of August, we have Dave Strait. On the 23rd of August, we have Barbara Culver. And on the 24th, we have Troy Augustine. Now, uh, Tim... Yep, Mike. You've had your company in trust for how, how long? 20 years. I started in 92, so 20 years. I started in college. In college? Yes. Good. What what made you form your own company when you are in college? In college, most people are thinking about, boy, if I only could get a job and work with someone else when I get out of school. Right. Well, my uh, father started a software company in 78 when I was in grade school. So I worked for him in grade school, high school, and then in college and decided that I wanted to start my own company in college to pay my way through through college. So that's the reason it started. It was uh, kind of an accidental entrepreneur is what I call myself, that uh, I didn't even go out with a strategic plan. I just started to uh, advertise my services, and before I knew it, uh, people were coming to me wanting uh, IT services. What kind of, uh, were you doing programming or IT services? Uh, initially, we were actually doing cabling, computer cabling, hooking companies up to one another um, back this is before the uh, right when the internet started to take off in the early 90s. You started the company when you were uh, in college, and that was for programming? Uh, computer cabling initially. Okay. And then it was interconnecting different computers to one another. So uh, Networking. Yeah, networking is where, where it all began. Correct. And that was right at the beginning of the internet. So we actually... I was one of the first uh, internet providers in Lebanon, Ohio area. Uh, I put a uh, system in place there to let people dial in over over the phone lines, over modems back when uh, that was the only way to get on the Internet in the mm-hmm. early 90s. Sure, we worked with a few people like that. So you had banks of modems. Yes. Yep. So that was uh, quite a while ago. We've come a long way uh, since that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You still have the modems? I might have one or two somewhere stuck. Uh, I've got some old equipment that I kind of keep around for nostalgia, yeah. Okay, okay. Not in use. Not in use. Right. Uh, when you were in college, were you a computer science major? 
electrical engineering, which is what my father was in, and that morphed into going to business classes to learn how to run my company. And the last business class I took was tax accounting, and the only thing I learned in that class is I need to get an accountant. <laughs> so that was that was the last thing I learned in college. Okay, I started out in college as an electrical engineer as well. And then I learned it was much better to be in the business school. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> business school graduates at the time were making more money. I was thinking about that in college. Why don't you give us a uh, a kind of a, an overview of what your company uh, interest is like today? Today. So today, a lot of companies, um, there's so many more technologies available to small businesses. I'm much morphed into going to business classes to learn how to run my company. And the last business class I took was tax accounting. And the only thing I learned in that class is I need to get an accountant. <laughs> so that, was, that was the last thing I learned in college. Okay. I started out in college as an electrical engineer as well. Uh, then I learned it was much better to be in the business school. Yeah. <laughs> business school graduates at the time were making more money. Uh, and uh, I, w I was thinking about that in college. Uh, why don't you give us a, uh, a kind of a, an overview of what your company uh, interest is like today? Today. So today a lot of companies, um, there's so many more technologies available to small businesses and it's so much more critical to their operations that they have a difficult time uh, choosing which technology to use, how they're going to support that economically, uh, and what we provide are all the solutions to them and strategic planning, which is critical to a lot of companies these days on their IT needs. Uh, and uh, w we support that. We back that up with our two um, offices. We've got one in Cincinnati, one in Chicago and about 40-some employees between those two locations to support all of our clients. So, yeah, really, 40 employees, uh, are most of them here in Cincinnati or most up in Chicago? majority of them are here in Cincinnati. Since this is where I started the company, we've got about three-quarters of our business in Cincinnati and the remainder in Chicago, and the Chicago office came from an acquisition. We wanted to try out, strike out a new market, so we uh, acquired a company in that area. Okay. And did you did you keep the old management, or they just went their own old they're, way? They're still there, yeah. So actually, I think 90% of the, the employees. This was two years ago that we acquired it. I think 90% of the people that were there when we acquired them are still there today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is is there any uh, speciality that you uh, work in? Um, over the years, uh, for those of you that are familiar with Citrix, uh, Lotus Notes, which is a um, older technology that we still support today. Uh, but these days, the majority of what we're involved with is any type of cloud technologies. So any online systems for data storage manipulation, uh, we assist companies with moving their processing into the cloud. Okay, but you don't actually run the cloud. We do not own, own the cloud, no. No, there are, there are other people out there that have data centers like Cincinnati Bell and others. Correct, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, when you say getting people into the cloud, does that, that, that mean that you help people implement uh, the Google apps? Google apps, Office 365, infrastructure as a service. There's a bunch of different types of cloud services available. Uh, so we work with companies to decide which ones make the most sense for their company to implement for them. We look at ourselves kind of like a, a technology brokerage. When you go to a broker to invest money, they're going to find out what your risk profile is, where you've got your money invested, and what we look at is where you're investing your money into different uh, technologies. Right. Now, for some of those, some of our listeners, uh, you used kind of some buzzwords that, <laughs> that that you and I might know, but our listeners might not. So maybe we can go backwards for a second. Yes. Uh, and cloud computing means... To us. Okay. Well, yeah, that, that's a big misconception because uh, people that come to me and say that 
the cloud computing is just the internet. It's very different from that. So uh, back in the late, let me go way back. So back in the late 1800s, when you would build a factory, yeah, <laughs> when you would build a factory, you would build a power generation plant right next to that factory to to generate your electricity. So you'd have a coal in there, whatever. Well, steam to turn steam. the rubber, the, the leather belts in the ceiling. Exactly. And what's happened since that time is we've been able to develop very large power generation plants and then distribute the actual power over power lines. And we can we can actually um, generate power much more efficiently in those large power generation plants. And uh, Nicholas Carr wrote a book in um, 2005 called The Big Switch, and it's all about equating um, that change in the 1800s to what's happening today with the cloud. So what's happening today with the cloud is these large companies like Microsoft and Google, Rackspace, et cetera, can build these gigantic data centers and run much more efficiently than small businesses can where they have just a little uh, computer room off of their office suite in their office space. So what we're finding with companies now is in the past where they would build a office that would house 50 people and they'd have a small data center there, we're taking that same company and connecting them out through multiple internet carriers to these large cloud services that uh, can run much more efficiently and provide much more scalability and capability than they could have in the past in their little server room that's uh, in, in their office suite. More efficiently and provide much more scalability and capability than they could have in the past in their little server room that's uh, in, in their office suite. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned uh, 360. Tell, tell the folks what that means. So um, I'll take a step back again. Um, if you've ever heard of the term software as a service. Sure. Um, so software as a service allows a uh, Salesforce.com really pioneer, pioneered that name of that years ago and allows them to run their software in a data center and you just subscribe to it and you pay a monthly fee for that uh, technology or to access that software. Um, and that's become much more common these days because the entry to get into that, uh, back when Salesforce started that, it was quarter million dollars to build a data center large enough to do that. These days, you can get, uh, you can start developing software and make it available on the internet for very little money, and you can scale your costs right along with as your subscribers scale. And the reason, the reason this is really um, important to me or, or resonates with me is because my father. My father's software company, when I was growing up, they would go out, spend a year or two developing software, hundreds of thousands of dollars of labor, put a software package together, then they would go out and peddle their software, try to get people to buy it. Mm -hmm. They'd sell it to a bunch of customers, they'd start using it, and then my father would have to come back, invest another hundreds of thousands of dollars in software again to develop the next version and try to go back out and sell those customers that he sold the old version to five years ago. Here's the new version. Here's all the cool stuff it can do. And he had some customers that would start using the new version. Some would want to continue using the old version. And he had to continue to support three, four, five versions back, years and years of software on all these different platforms. And it became very expensive to do that. Uh, and it's a big gamble to do that every few years, develop that new version of the software. Well, aren't you describing, though, how uh, Oracle uh, developed? Yeah, Oracle. That's it. And several other companies, yeah. Microsoft included. Right. That's all the legacy way of doing software. So these days, the uh, software as a service model, the software providers actually write the software, they put it online and make it available to people to subscribe to for a monthly fee so they get that recurring revenue and they can continue to make small incremental changes to it. And they only have to 
support the one version of the software that they have out there available over the Internet. Uh, so your question about Office 365, which is Microsoft's software as a service, um, where they will provide Exchange Online, SharePoint Online, Link Online, and you have the most current version of the software that you pay a monthly fee for to have access to these enterprise tools for small businesses in the past that they couldn't afford to either implement or didn't have the expertise to implement. Now they have access to that for a small monthly, starting at you know $4 a month per user to access these amazing enterprise tools. Okay, and the argument that I've heard mm -hmm. is that you have better data security when you have all of your databases on your premises as opposed to someone else's. That, that is definitely a, an argument, but there's a lot of holes in that many times uh, because a, a lot of times companies feel like their data is more secure sitting in their office, but a lot of times their office security doesn't, they don't even have an ADT security system on their office. So we've had clients in the past that have had people break into their offices and steal their tapes, steal their servers, and all their data walks right out the door. If it's in a data center that's secured by biometrics, uh, a lot of times armed guards, all types of security systems and camera systems, being able to physically get to the data is very difficult. Now, the other side of that is actually accessing the data over the Internet. Accessing it remotely. Remotely, yeah. So these... Um, data centers have very sophisticated security systems in place, both physically for physical security, but also virtual security, um, where they've actually got directors of security that work for them. They've got very sophisticated firewall systems um, and that much more sophisticated security than what a small business can put in in their personal office. So does that make it more difficult for the users to use the system and access the system? Uh, no, they... they architected so that there's a very good security, but that the users can get to their information just as easily as they can get to it if it was sitting in their office. So the, the security, from the user standpoint, we've moved uh, users from their on-premise mail server out to the cloud, and they've not noticed any difference that uh, that, that they've been able to, to notice. Mm -hmm. uh, it's interesting, because Sandler is going to be uh, forcing us onto uh, Google Apps and Google Mail uh, sometime later this year. Yeah. Uh, and many of the uh, 350 offices are probably not happy, kicking and screaming. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So they, that that's and that's a good example where you're actually changing the whole interface that they're used to using from um, Word and Excel and PowerPoint and, and Outlook. Outlook. Yeah. Yeah. To their web uh, applications, which are much more simplified. Uh, and there's people that are used to all that flexibility and capability out of the Microsoft tools don't like the um, Google Apps. Uh, and, and I would that's a very good example of getting good feedback from your user base, talking to the uh, client about, um, yeah, they're going to save some money, but are they going to really save money in terms of productivity and what the users are going to be able to do with that new software that they're going to be able to access? Yeah, so it, the, the Google uh, Apps is are going to provide less functionality yes. than the Microsoft application suites mm -hmm. that we've got deployed on uh, a dozen or several hundred dozen uh, PCs, PCs and, yeah. and networks. Correct. Yeah. So the now some people might argue that the um, uh, applications are are simpler. And for the new users that come into the organization, they may be able to pick them up more, more easily. But if you're using some of the more sophisticated features of Excel and Word, 
um, they're going to those users that are more sophisticated are going to struggle with not being able to do some of the things they've done been able to do in the past. So that's definitely some of those critical. may be mission uh, business mission critical. They could could very well be. Yeah, that, that's uh, a good point. Um, and the other thing too with Google Apps is the fact that you are um, locking into a technology there. So let's say you've moved all of your documents into the uh, uh, Google App environment and uh, you decide after you've done it for six months, we don't like this, we want to pull our apps back out. Well, at that point, there's not an easy did, way. Did you mean apps or did you mean documents? Documents. I'm Thank sorry. you. Yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're using Google Apps to create documents on Google's website, and uh, you've got all the documents out there now. Six, nine months go by. This isn't working well. Let's pull back out. It's very difficult to get all your data back out of there, and it's all in their proprietary format. Whereas if you're just storing the documents out there with Dropbox or something like that and using Word, mm -hmm. you could easily move them somewhere else and uh, continue to interact with them. So I can't take a Excel, a Google Apps version of Excel spreadsheet and send it to a con contemporary in my company or a contemporary not in my company. Uh, you you can, and you have to run it through. Like, if you're expecting, they're expecting an Excel, Excel spreadsheet, which most people would be, or a Word document. That's a uniform language. Right. You're going to do a kind of convert it to that format, send it to them, and the formatting may or may not work properly. So we've had some clients that have been historically using Word and Excel, and they've tried to use Google Apps and PowerPoint, and uh, the the formatting hasn't really been 100% there, and there's been a lot of frustration around that, both internally where they open up a document they've used in the past, mm -hmm. or they've emailed it to somebody and the person receives it, and it doesn't present the way they expected it. So that brings us to the second thing that you mentioned, which was the Microsoft version uh, 360, mm -hmm. or Cloud 360. Uh, does that provide the uh, compatibility with others? Yes. So um, what I really like about uh, Microsoft's Office 365 solution is the fact that um, I can move everybody's mail out to the uh, hosted Exchange server that Microsoft provides, and their Outlook stays identical the way it's always been. There's no difference to the end user. Um, after six months, it's a month-to-month -month contract. After six, six months, if I don't like the fact that I'm paying a monthly fee to store this or they have some outages, um, I can actually just move my mail back to an Exchange server on-premise, and the users, again, wouldn't really notice the difference. Um, so it's easy to migrate there and easy to migrate back. Um, the documents that um, I'm storing are going to be Word and Excel like they've always been, and the license I can either purchase Office like I always have in the past, where I go to the store, buy it, and I own the license, or they have a subscription-based where you pay a monthly fee to access Word, Excel, and that that uh, can run in a web browser or it can run the full copy on your system like you've always had it. So it can run in the web or on your local system yes. with zero loss of functionality. Exactly. Can't tell any difference. Sounds like a better solution. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And they charge more for it because of that, because of all the functionality and the flexibility that you have. So that, that's the one trade-off that we work with companies to, to look at how much money they're going to save via Google Apps versus what the uh, additional cost would be with Office 365 and the benefits they're going to get. Yeah, you're going to have to talk to Sandler's guy, Jesse, because yeah. I don't want to learn Google Apps. Yeah. And, and, and I'm afraid uh, that Sandler will put their own internal documents that I've, I've got to read yeah. into Google Apps 
to trap me to be there, and I don't want to be there at all. Okay, let's take a, uh, a short commercial break, and we'll be right back. Why do some business owners make lots of money while others endure years of mediocrity? Is it really the economy, the market, the weather, the competition? No. These are all called excuses, which are always plentiful. Hi, I'm Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. As a business owner or part of a team, are you accepting excuses from your sales team because you make them yourself? Business winners succeed in spite of this trash. Business winners invest in themselves and their people. For over 15 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing your sales, call me at 513-646-6523. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. To find out how Sandler training can make you better, faster, and stronger, call 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at RothConsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Tim uh, Redding. Uh, Tim, uh, you mentioned in the first uh, part of the show that you recently did an acquisition in Chicago. Uh, what what drove you to the conclusion that the way to expand was to acquire someone else's uh, business base and problems and people as opposed to just generically going out there and launching a satellite office in Chicago? Uh, we uh, we actually started a satellite office in Louisville, Ohio, years ago. I had a few clients. Louisville, Ohio? Louisville, Kentucky. I say Louisville, Ohio. Louisville, Kentucky. And, I am listening. You're all right. Just, that was a test to make sure that you were listening. So before any listeners call in, too, that was just a test for Mike. We uh, started a satellite office down there. I had some key clients in that area, uh, including uh, LG&E, Louisville Gas and Electric, and uh thought that was a, a good way to just start off. I, I hired a, a, some staff, and uh, we gave it a, a year, uh, and it, it did not do very well. So we pulled out uh, of that satellite office very quickly. And uh, so when this opportunity presented itself in Chicago, I saw it as a much better way to establish a foothold in a, a, a city, especially the size of Chicago, to have uh, some key marquee clients in that area, already have some uh, sales staff and uh, engineers available to 
to uh, expand. So uh, that was the main main reason that we chose to do that rather than to just start it organically. So that was a company more or less like your own here in Cincinnati? Exactly. Yeah, they did exactly what we did. In fact, uh, I was in a peer group with the owner of that company for a couple of years prior to acquiring him, merging with him, because uh, he stayed on and actually um, runs that uh, location up there. So um, he and I saw eye to eye on customer service, how we wanted to treat our employees, where we wanted to take the company. So it was a very good uh, synergy between the two of us. Good. Good. So what kind of mix of employees do you have? Uh, how many salespeople do you have, for instance? Um, we're pretty light on salespeople. We've just got uh, four right now um, out of the 40, so just 10%, uh, mostly because the majority of our um, uh, clients come from referrals. So we work really hard to make sure we deliver a, a very good service, and from that we get, generate a lot of uh, a lot of business, repeat business. Mm-hmm. And do you have any administrative uh, people who aren't involved in the delivery of uh, product, work product? We we do, yeah. We've got a controller. I've got the you know management staff, management layer beneath me, so that I can concentrate on the strategic direction of the company, work with our clients, uh, and uh, allow the management staff to um, keep the, the business running day to day. Good. Uh, your view of the the current economy, current marketplace, uh, what are the opportunities? What are the possibilities? Uh, last six months, it has definitely improved considerably. Uh, we've got a lot of companies that have we've been putting band aids band aids on things for the last three or four years, uh, and now they are looking at their technology that's five, six, seven, sometimes eight years old, and. Uh, Con- uh, investing a considerable amount of money into that technology uh, because things have improved. They're already seeing uh, pipelines of business improve. Uh, because of that, we see a, a lot a, a lot of improvement over the next um, six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we've seen that in other in other businesses too. Uh, that there's been a general uptrend from a lot of companies in the small business arena. Yeah. Uh, do you see any obstacles to, to growth? Uh, any obstacles? I, I mean, there's a lot of people that will uh, take their foot off the accelerator probably for the next until the election comes around just to see what happens with that. There's a little bit of that with the uh, the uh, recent Supreme Court ruling on the health care um, bill. So I see the same thing with the election. They just want to see what happens. No matter if it goes one way or the other, they're going to put their hopefully put their foot back on the accelerator after that. They just want to wait and see what happens. Mm. No, there are always people that would do that, and yeah. sometimes they're left at the starting line when everyone else is at the finish line. Yeah. Uh, we've heard some stories here of uh, companies that build industrial infrastructure products, uh, hardware-type products, mm-hmm. and uh, one of our fellows was try- across the street was trying to buy a new power transformer for his building. He bought new production equipment, new heating air conditioning equipment, mm-hmm all requiring much more electricity than this building had. So he, when they started putting the air conditioning on the roof, called Duke up and said, I'd like more electricity. And they said, sir, you were already at max on your transformer. You need a new transformer. He said, great. They said, well, it's six to eight month delivery. <laughs> yeah, that will slow you down a little bit. Slow you down? Yeah. Let's say he was extremely disappointed. Mm-hmm. He had equipment. He had people he wanted to hire. He couldn't hire them. He had no way to run the air conditioning and heat and the equipment. Yeah. A, a really serious problem. And it's because the manufacturers of this industrial infrastructure, um, lean manufacturing, 
sold everything on the shelf, mm-hmm. and for the past two years haven't haven't been rebuilding it. So what should have been an easy, maybe two week delivery, yeah, three or six months. That's a uh, <clears throat> a big problem. Yeah, that that would be. What do you think people are looking for right now in the form of an IT uh, support company like yourself? You you actually don't own servers, do you? We ha- we have some uh, <coughs> that we do own for some different uh, services, but the majority of what we deal with is leveraging the cloud. So uh, we've gotten more and more clients that have come to us that want to, um, uh, almost similar to your story you just relayed to me, uh, where where they don't want to go out and purchase more more equipment and find out their air conditioning is not big enough. And then they put more air conditioning in and realize that their generator is not big enough to uh, push their air conditioner and their computers. So they want to be able to grow much more quickly and be able to leverage the cloud, and they don't know how to do that. So that's where we come in, and that's a lot of what uh, the companies are looking for. So are you going to actually uh, tell them what to order in terms of high-speed T1s up to the net? Yes. So we work with getting their building lit. We work with a bunch of different, when I say lit, uh, fiber optics. Hmm. <laughs> so we have a lot of companies we work with now, um, like Time Warner Cable, uh, Business Class, TW Telecom, Cincinnati Bell, that have fiber optics throughout Cincinnati. Um, so you can get amazing speeds now for um, very consi- very reasonable pricing in the um, offices that you're in. So you call that being lit up? Being lit, yeah. Okay. So you know, when we would talk to clients that want to move into a new building, that's one of the first things we want to look for: is the building lit? Is it on, you know, on network, on net with uh, TW Telecom or somebody else, where we can get very low, low cost, um, high speed internet connectivity? Yeah, we ha- we have a one client uh, over here who's got a 30 megabit uh, fiber optic line. Yeah, and he looked; he'd been doing real well, mm-hmm. an internet based business. Wanted to buy a building around the corner, couldn't buy it because he couldn't get infrastructure there yeah. on one side. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it was uh, the heating and air conditioning plant in the building was 20, 22 years of age. Yeah. Why are they going to cut it? Yeah. Well, just wasn't designed for today and right, right. was probably at the point of uh, failure or obsolete, obsolescence. Definitely obsolete from a, a energy efficiency perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh You say most of your new business comes to you from uh, referrals. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you were to get your sales team were to get in a lot more new business, you'd probably have a great deal of trouble delivering. Correct. Yeah. In fact, uh, we we went through a very uh, a big growth spurt after we acquired Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were hiring new staff almost every two weeks. We have to bring a new new uh, staff person on board, either through attrition um, or growth. And uh, that is a very uh, difficult to do because um, our business requires such skilled people. And it's a lot different than just bringing a person into a call center and having them read a script. So we need to bring people in. They need to be uh, familiar with the uh, different clients' environments that we support and all the different technologies because a lot of the technologies that we work with are much more advanced and up-to-date than um, other companies that uh, a uh, IT person may have come from. So because of that, we've definitely found the uh, uh, issues with scaling very quickly. So we've slowed down a little bit and uh, made sure that we concentrate on delivering the best service possible rather than trying to uh, grow as quickly as possible. So do you actually have a an HR department in your company too? Yeah, we have. A, we call a them. Our, yeah, we 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 do. We and we call it a human systems actually rather than HR. So 
there's a, a book called Human Sigma about uh, the best way that you can uh, have people interact in a company like ours, which is mostly people um, dealing with customers and each other on a very um, high-level professional uh, level. Okay. So do you uh, recruit all of your own talent, or are you using outside uh, recruiting agencies? I've used agencies in the past and been very disappointed with the results. Uh, so we do all our recruiting uh, internally through um, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Career Builder, Craigslist, et cetera. Hmm. How many people in your company are in this recruiting area? Just that one. Just that one person? One. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. And what are the uh, the skill sets that are unique or up, up to the minute technology-wise that you guys are uh, implementing for people? Uh, well, virtualization is uh, up to the date, so we do a lot of virtualization where we take physical running servers and move them into a virtual environment so they're not tied to a uh, physical piece of hardware, um, which makes them much more efficient and allows them allows us to move them uh, between pieces of hardware much more easily, and also we can move them out to a cloud provider easily, too. That's sad, because uh, unfortunately, I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. We have some virtual servers here. Uh not always happy with them. <laughs> and uh, on-premises, we've not always been able to pick it up and move it from server A to server B and make it run. All right. Uh, having those virtualized someplace else might actually be a, an advantage. I can see that. Uh, when you, you said you talk to customers and prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do people tell you they're looking for? Looking for that um, a strategic partner is what I get the uh, most of. I, I just met with a company last week. Um, they are happy with their current service provider, their current IT provider, uh, from just providing them with support. And uh, when they needed to buy something, they, the company would give them a pretty good pricing. But they didn't feel like they got any strategic direction from them. Uh, and when they would be surprised by an IT um, upgrade that would have to occur that they had no idea was coming. So we make sure to work with companies to make sure that we have a budget in place so they know when their um, systems will need to be uh, replaced so they can budget for that. So we work with them on that and having that strategy in place of moving certain components to the cloud that makes sense. So uh, they didn't have any of that strategy that the, um, or budgeting or any type of proactive um, planning that they could have for their business. So, so you actually are creating a IT strategy and what I like to call a long-term plan. Yep, long-term plan, budgets, uh, so they know the whole path ahead and what they're doing and why. Good. We're going to take a a short break, and we'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes. Hi, this is Paul Lanigan with Standard Training, and I'm here today to talk to you about Rule 21. Sell today, educate tomorrow. Christmas 2002 was a special Christmas for me because I'd just completed my first year in business, but I had a problem. I had a very fast-looming tax filing deadline. Coincidence, our luck would have it that there was there's a well-known accounting software company that had a 10-day trial software offer that was in a local business periodical. I called the company. 
and I had my credit card in one hand, phone cradle like this under my chin, and I called the number. A very pleasant sales rep answered the phone and asked me how she could help. I said, I'm interested in that software package that you have. Straight away she said, oh, that's our new product, it's just released, and it'll do all your VAT returns for you automatically. Now, VAT is a type of transaction tax we have on business in, in Ireland. But the problem is, sales training companies are exempt from VAT tax. So I told her this. So she then reached into her bag of features and threw another one at me. This will manage all your inventory for you. Of course, it's a training company. We don't have a lot of inventory. You see, she was trying to educate me on her product and trying to sell me on what my need is. Instead, if she had asked me, what prompted you to give us a call or how were you hoping I might be able to help you? I'd have told her that I needed a solution to file my taxes. I'd have told her that I was frustrated, that I was pulling my hair out, that I needed something fast. Remember the rule, sell today, educate me tomorrow. Sell me on what I need right now, what's my priority? And then tomorrow, you can tell me about all the other wonderful things that your product does. Mike Roth, I'm back with uh, Tim Reddick, and uh, Tim, I'm going to ask you one of my favorite questions. Uh, we have a, a thesis around here that simple solutions to complex problems are almost always wrong. I discovered that that was right the hard way when I applied simple solutions to complex problems, and it cost my company that I owned a lot of money. So I'm going to ask you, maybe you could think of a complex problem that you had over there at Intrust, and an equally complex solution that you provided to solve the problem that maybe could be applicable to other people and other businesses outside of the uh, the IT world. All right. Um, yeah, I've got uh, I've got one that's that's interesting. I don't. It may not be a complex solution, but it's not a simple solution. Uh, a few years ago, we had a, a company that came to us, and they had uh, field. Uh, reps in the field that they wanted to be able to. They're actually an HVAC company. When they went out and did some work and completed a job, they wanted them to have some type of mobile device that they carried around to um, input their uh, work that they did, what time they got there, what time they left, um, if they used any material, all those types of things. So we spent quite a while going through looking at all the different mobile devices that um, are available, which one would be rugged enough for them to carry around, all those types of things. And uh, we uh, gave a you know gave a few of them out, did a, pro did a proof of concept um, so that they could carry them around and see how they, they worked out for them. But what we found is doing that actually slowed them down. So we were giving them, them this technology to hopefully make them more productive in the field. Uh, but what we found is they would complete a job, and in the past they would scribble their notes down on a piece of paper in a minute or two, and now they were having to sit there and type into this little device, and they hadn't really been typing in the past. Uh, so they weren't very fast typers, uh, and it took a while for them to get all their information in there. So it was slowing them down, and the only benefit it really gave is that the uh, people in the head office would, were able to read the information more easily because it was typed, but mm -hmm. they tended to type a lot less because it was a lot more difficult them, for them to type than it was for them to write. So what we went to was we tried out a um, system where they actually called in when they would complete a um, 
a job. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would actually dictate what they did. And we had a little interactive voice response system we set up where we would ask them, who, who did you, what company did you just leave? What time did you get there? What time did you leave? Did you use any product? And what did you do to service them? And they would verbally say all this information. Uh, and then we would have that, and it would be listened to by some dictators, on, or not dictators, but some, but some people on the back end that would actually type the information into the actual system, uh, what they did. And we, we modeled it kind of after uh, doctor's offices, where if you've ever gone to a doctor's office, a lot of times they'll carry around a little recorder, and they'll record what they did uh, rather than typing them in, because a doctor's time is much more valuable than somebody that's just going to be typing the information in for them. And that was a much more efficient way for us to solve that problem for those guys that were out in the field. So um, I don't, it was probably equal in complexity to giving them the mobile device and having them carry around it. Uh, it but it was a, definitely a way, a different way to look at the problem and a different solution. Now, today I'm still working with that company because that was probably 10 or 12 years ago. And they're, again, looking at mobile devices, but not to give to the guys to enter their information in, but instead to be able to use that to reference information so that they can actually look up schematics on it when they're on a rooftop, be able to get the information that they need, and maybe even connect to another guy at another site and be able to talk to him face-to-face through video chat rather than calling him on the phone. Don't know if that's a benefit or not. They're still playing around with it. But um, still, they're they're still to this day, this is 10, 12 years ago that we put that uh, dictation system in, in place, still using that. Uh, and it still does a, a great job for them to be able to uh, track all their time. Is that on a uh, mainframe application or a uh, PC application? P- PC application, yeah. It wasn't that long ago. It was only 10, 10 12 years ago. Yeah, uh, probably uh, six or eight years ago, one of our clients were using Goldmine, and they came up with a uh, value-added reseller out in California that solved a similar problem because our, our salespeople were average age, 50 years of age, and they were not good typists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were good at selling or good technically. And uh, the CEO wanted to have a better handle on what was happening. And you would dial up a, a telephone number after leaving an account, and you would say the code that you wanted to do. You wanted to complete a face-to-face meeting with who, and then you could dictate the context of the meeting and then tell the system how long the meeting lasted and what the yeah. next action was. And that was uh, automatically transcribed uh, and then uh, validated by human beings. The mm-hmm. uh, system worked great for a while. And then the vendor went out of business. It's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is there such a vendor like that for something like Salesforce.com today? Uh, I'm not aware of one, but I'm sure there's, there's got to be somebody out, do, out there doing that. There's that uh, is it business card burn or something like that where you get people's business cards and you take a picture of it from your phone. Mm-hmm. And then that actually goes to somebody in India or Costa Rica or something, and they type the information into your contacts for you for free. Uh, and I'm sure the reason they'll do it for free is because they also put it in their database so they can spam you, whoever that contact was later. But uh, And that's a free service. That's a free service. That's What's it called again? I, I can't remember the name of it. It's Business Card Burn or something like that. Business it's Fire card. or something. I don't remember the name of it. It's and an app for uh, uh, iPhones. Oh, boy, I'm an Android user. It may, it's probably available for Android, oh, too. Oh, good. Yeah. good. <laughs> 
Okay. Uh, so dictation as opposed to typing for people more than 40 years of age is a good general solution. Uh, Especially mo mobile users, too. So the, this HVAC company, the um, guys driving their cars like the fact that they... The trucks. Driving the trucks down the road, they're good heating, air conditioning techs, yep. but terrible as typists. Typists, and they can just uh, you know hit their button, tell it to call the office, and it walks them through and asks them all the questions. They don't have to look at anything as they're driving down the road. It's much more efficient, and it gives them the ability to get that done while they're moving. Now, Tim, why don't you tell the folks how they can get a hold of you, because I think we missed that in the last segment. Uh, so, uh, yeah, our website is intrustgroup.com, and that's with an I, intrustgroup.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn if you just go look, search for Tim. My last name is spelled R-E-T-T-I-G, so you can find me there. I've also got a blog at timreddick.com. You can find me there, too. So many different ways you can find me, and if you want that good old-fashioned phone number, uh, 513-469-6500. You can reach us uh, at that number also. Good. And, Tim, in in your business, uh, you've already said that you had a blog. How important do you think it is uh, for a company to have, uh, being an IT company, good search engine optimization? There are a lot of companies around. We're going to have uh, uh, a search engine company, uh, search engine experts, uh, Ken Saunders on in a couple of weeks, or maybe he was on a couple of weeks ago. I lost track. Sorry, Ken. <laughs> uh, how important is search engine optimization from an IT perspective? You're not in that business, right? Yeah, I'm not in that in that business. Good. So, as a professional, what do you think the importance is? It's very important for companies that do a lot of transactional type of business. So companies that want to sell you a particular product. So if I've got some type of widget that I'm selling on the Internet, I need to be able to show up at the top of an SEO list. So if somebody types in that they're looking for uh, army men that I sell, then I'm going to show up in there either in there or maybe they may, may go to Amazon or wherever the marketplace might be that they're looking for that particular product. Or if I'm a restaurant, um, those types of things. As a professional services company like we are, like I said, the majority of our business comes from referrals from other companies. Just like if I am looking for an attorney, I'm not going to go to the web and type in a uh, divorce attorney. I'm going to talk to friends and family that I know. Not that I'm getting ready to get divorced or anything like that, but I'm going to find out, hey, who have you used? I'm going to go to LinkedIn, uh, see who's in my network, those types of things. I'm not going to go out and just blindly search for divorce attorney, just like I don't think people are going to go out and blindly search for IT consultants. Um, and blindly call somebody up. We majority of our comp, uh, business, like I said, comes from referrals, and a lot of that comes from uh, the network that I'm part of. And being in business 20 years, um, I'm well known and have a very good reputation in the area. Yeah. Well, not everyone is is, is lucky enough to uh, get all of their business from referrals and introductions, because I, for one, teach my clients how to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's not a steady stream of business for most people. So search engine optimization for a lot of people is is important. Yes. Uh, different for different types of businesses. Right. Uh, in fact, we have one client that spends well in excess of five figures a month on pay-per-click and uh, brings in just shy of $100,000. Mm -hmm. Great business. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's terribly unique, and I can't copy it. I don't think it would work for you. 
there, there's a lot of uh, I'm going to call it skepticism in the business community that these uh, search engine optimization companies that seem to pop up uh, faster than weeds uh, aren't providing any real value. Yeah, I haven't. I've not had any clients that have um, been able to to grow their business quickly with any type of SEO that I've seen um, through any type of, uh, especially business B two B on the consumer side. That's that's very possible, but I have not seen it on the business to business side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's all I was talking about. It's definitely a B two C. At Sandler, which is a I would say probably 75% of our business is business to business. Mm -hmm. Uh, We definitely see some value on SEO, but it's hard to separate from uh, brand awareness. Yes. Uh, Certainly, uh, I think today, after six years of... uh, Pushing the Sandler brand as opposed to Roth and Associates, which is where we started originally, uh, the Sandler brand is probably worth more than uh, if I were to cut it off and say just Roth and Associates. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a re- name recognition with Sandler for sure. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, that has to do with the books that we brought out and the bestsellers uh, that, that have really helped our. Uh, Position in the marketplace. Uh, so the so for you doing SEO with using Sandler um, for people in Cincinnati that are searching for Sandler training would probably be a, a, something worth uh, worth trying. Or you may have already tried that. Know how well that's worked or not worked for you. Most of the time, we can come up on the number one or number two position mm-hmm. for the most significant key search terms and pay per click. Uh, we can dramatically limit it. We don't have to go into the thousands of dollars a month. Right. Some other people think that uh, spending at five thousand or ten thousand dollars is uh, a great expense. Mm-hmm. I think it's great only if you, for every five thousand you spend, you bring back fifty. Right. Ten to one. Well, that's what I was wondering. So, if you're at the top spot, if somebody types in Sandler Training Cincinnati, so I didn't know if you were looking at what conversion rate you're getting out of those. That work if you guys are getting you know a new lead a week a month every three months. Mm, I'd say that realistically it's about one a week. One a week, okay. Uh, not all of them are worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, the most recent one we got was uh, over the weekend, and we got a uh, a trade publication reporter. Mm-hmm. Of course, we did better with trade. Reporters, when we uh, got into Inc. Magazine, and they did an article on uh, sales trainers, we got in there, got a beautiful story. Yeah. But that happened because of uh, Harco, not because of uh, SEO. SEO. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, well, it's also true. Pretty much anything like that where you go advertise, you don't get as anywhere near as much response as if you have an article written about you. That's definitely a huge difference. Well. Uh, you know how Harco works? No. Help a reporter out. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, reporters. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's yeah. kind of like a uh, a speaker's bureau, but backwards working for reporters put on that they're looking for people 
who mm-hmm. uh, you're wearing a blue shirt, and they would say, "I'm looking for people who are wearing a blue shirt and shoes that lace." Yeah. Okay. And if you happen to meet their criteria, then you respond to the reporter through the website, and then the reporter calls you back. That's what we did, and the reporter turned out to be Inc. Magazine. That's great. They wanted to talk about, does sales training really work? Okay. And uh, it was a great story. Uh, I remember being stuck in the Philadelphia airport for about four hours. Thank you, U.S. Air. Uh, And I, I spent the entire time talking to the reporter. Uh, and more or less, that that's what came out as the story. Oh, that's great, and uh, and we didn't pay for that. That is, yeah. That uh, was it. Any press is good press, so yeah. Yeah, that was good press. It was good, good press. There's a copy of the magazine there behind you. Okay. Inc. 500. All right. Uh, oh, I'm in that. You're in that. <laughs> yeah, we made that number 635 on the list. Uh, 635 out of 500? Inc. 500, 5,000. Oh, 5,000. That was 500. Yeah. Oh, when is it? What year is it? Mm-hmm. It's last year. Yeah. We're in there. Inc. 500, 5,000. So we're in there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, there's a difference between getting directly to the reporter uh, with Harco and search engine optimization. Uh, do, do you do any other kinds of marketing, sponsorships, uh, paid ads? Yeah, so we do some of the paid ads in the traditional trade magazines or not trade magazines, but the business courier. We'll do that from time to time when they'll have some IT uh, information there. Uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, not ads, but uh, we definitely have a presence there. Um, but uh, we've tried different things throughout the years, but really the majority of it has, has been our sales force going direct and uh uh, I do a lot of speaking engagements, and we do pay for some of the speaking engagements, and those are the ones that turn out to be the best for us. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, instead of you getting paid to speak, you have to pay sometimes to speak at an event. Right, yes. Hmm. What I would call a sponsorship. So give me an example of that. Yeah, so there's a security conference that's uh, in Chicago every spring, mm-hmm. uh, and we pay to have a presence there and sponsor it, and then at, because of that, we're awarded a position to speak. So it's <laughs> the same. And they obviously take the sponsor's money to put the events on and draw the people there. So that's a, a good example of an event um, where we, we show up. So how many of those a year do you do? Um, that particular series, there's three of them that we do. Um, Cincinnati, Chicago, and Columbus, Ohio, uh, out of that series. And then I'll get invited to CEO roundtables, and I'll get, have to, uh, that's for free, uh, to be able to speak in front of a bunch of CEOs. And those those are the best ones that I get. So I don't mm-hmm. get paid. I don't have to pay them, but uh, those are very beneficial. I'll agree with you. I've, I've done a, more than a few CEO roundtable talks, mm-hmm. and anyone out there in a CEO roundtable that wants to invite Tim or me, we're, we're more than happy to, to yeah. talk to the groups. Uh, sometimes I've had groups ask me for esoteric topics, which can't be covered in an hour, mm-hmm. and which is, causes some some interesting dynamics. Uh, Tim, in in your business, if you could choose just one area uh, that you would be concentrating in, and you could cut everything else away, either because you didn't like it or, what, or it wasn't as profitable as you'd like, what one area? would uh, interest concentrate in? Um, I mean, right now, it's the, the cloud. It is definitely um, where we see a lot of companies moving. 
and I see a lot of challenges in the future with uh, companies moving to all these different off-site locations, being able to integrate them all and doing single sign-on and making sure they're all secure. So that's uh, something we're um, concentrating on already. It, yeah, it'd be great to cut away all the other things we have to deal with, but there's still users we have to deal with. There's still connectivity issues and challenges and mobile and all the other uh, challenges that come from all that. So we still deal with all that, but cloud is uh, where I think our business is going to be expanding a lot more in the future. Mm-hmm. And over the last couple of weeks, we've had some uh, some serious or minor, depending on where you are, power fluctuations or failures here in the Cincinnati marketplace. Has that affected uh, you and your company at all? Well, how would it have affected people who are on the cloud? Well, on the cloud, so that's one of the things we talk to companies about, too. So if they've got uh, – I've got a client that's got a dozen offices, and uh, they uh, the fact that their systems are – their primary systems are not in their office. They're running in the cloud. If their primary office power goes out, it doesn't affect those other 11 offices that are accessing those systems. So being in the cloud in that case is a, a benefit. Um, I have another client that has a single location. All of his operations and manufacturing is done at that location. And if his systems are down, uh, if he can't access them, they can't do their manufacturing. So having the systems on site there makes a lot more sense than having them off site somewhere else where you've got multiple um, options for failure at that point. So it uh, depends upon the structure of the company and that. So, But from a disaster recovery standpoint, having stuff out in the cloud is a great way to um, be able to continue operating no matter what's going on uh, in your general area that you're in. Yeah, a few months ago I had the opportunity to uh, tour the uh new data center that used to be uh, CompuServe and AOL up in Columbus. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've toured it. I've not been to that one, no. Yeah, really really tight security to get into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, marvelous uh, uninterruptible power supply, dual dual feed from the electric company, dual feed for the uh, fiber optics into the building. Um, an unbelievable amount of diesel oil for the two generators out in the parking lot. Yeah. But the parking lot area where the fuel oil and the diesels were were secured and behind the wall, unless you knew they were there, mm-hmm. you wouldn't know they were there. Yeah. We only saw it because we we came out of the computer room area into the uh the fuel storage area. So that was done really well. Uh I'm just wondering if all uh cloud data centers are as well protected as, as this one was. Yeah, no, they're they're not. Other standards? Yeah, there there are standards. There's a SAS seventy type two, which is a audited. Um, um, we believe there's no buzzword. So right. yeah, <laughs> that was a buzzword. That is definitely a buzzword. It's not even a word. SAS seventy type two. It, it's just a um, audited standard that uh, a good data center will say that they're a SAS seventy type two data center, which means they've got twenty four hour guards. They've got um, biometric access. They've got N plus one. Um, power generation, all those types of things to be able to continue operating pretty much no matter what. Um, and uh, it's interesting, the newest data centers are what's called uh, container data centers. Uh, I don't know if the one you went to was a container data center, but uh, Chicago, in Chicago, Microsoft recently opened up a new container data center up there. And what a container is, is a shipping container. It's about the size of a semi-tractor trailer. Uh, it's got 4,000 servers in it. And when uh, Microsoft needs some new uh, some more computing power, they back one of those containers into the data center and they stack them too too high in the data center. And uh, they pretty much run those 4,000 servers in that box until they can't run anymore and then they unplug them and pull them out and 
plug a new one in. So it lets them move computing power around very easily, and it modularizes 4,000 servers at a time. So it's amazing technology. Uh, I went to a conference that Microsoft had, and they had one of those uh, containers sitting there, and they cut a hole in the side of it, and you could walk in, and there was just, you know, rows of com computers as close as you can get them to one another with enough room just to get air flow through it to keep it cool. So that's that's the cloud. That's what you're running on. And that's why it's so much more efficient to have that type of data, uh, computer access available to you than just a few computers in your uh, server room. In the well, hall. maybe this is the last question, but, you know, if, you, if you're in a, in a cloud computing environment with uh, hundreds or even thousands of servers and the server that your application is on, goes south. Mm -hmm. What happens? So in a in a true cloud type environment, mm -hmm. they um, they run them in, in a grid architecture. So if one of them fails, the computing moves over to another one. So within seconds you're redirected to another system. So it's it's a very quick cutover. There are companies out there that will say they are quote a cloud provider, but they're running your systems on dedicated hardware and if that piece of hardware goes out, you're you're down until they get it repaired. So in a true cloud environment, you're in a grid architecture. And actually, with like Microsoft's solution and Google's and that, it's geo-redundant. So it's a geo-cluster. So um, all the workload that's happening in Chicago, if that uh, system were to go down, all that gets shifted off to another location and is able to be, within seconds, brought up and, and online. So, so a system, say, in uh Los Angeles is running parallel to the one in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. In fact, or, or it's got to be rebooted. No, it's running in parallel. So they're both running the same data. Yep, yep. So um, we recently had uh, with all the power outages, Amazon had a power outage. Um, I think last week, one of the one portion of their data center, they have all their um, systems in place so that shouldn't happen, but it did, and uh, they recommended that companies run across multiple Amazon data centers, and some companies chose not to because of the uh, cost to do that. Mm -hmm. So the companies that were running out of that one data center, they wound up uh, having their sites go down with those companies that were geo-clustered or geo-redundant were able to continue operating with uh, no outage, no downtime. Well, good. Tim, I think you provided a lot of information to our listeners. Okay. And again, if they want to get a hold of you on a traditional telephone line, they would dial you on. 513-469-6500, or they can visit our website at intrustgroup.com. Good. Thanks again for participating. I'm going to give you a copy of uh, David Madsen's latest Sandler book, the uh, Sandler Insights, or the 11 Sandler Insights, that's uh, made it to number one on the Amazon seller, bestseller list. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Scott, it. take Thanks it away. Mike. Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at rothconsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.